Amen. We're going to work through this line by line, sentence by sentence in a moment. But as I've been up this year, been going through the book of Mark, I'll be up the next three Sundays after this as well. We're going to continue going through the book of Mark together. And thus far, we've seen primarily two themes in this book. One has been Mark trying to tell us all about all the authority that Jesus has. So we've already seen stories where Jesus made some folks uncomfortable by saying, your sins are forgiven, showing he has authority over sin. He's had authority over the Pharisees and the religious types. He's already had authority over demons, telling them to get out. He's had authority over the human body and telling it to be healed. And this theme still is here in this story, that he even has authority over the seas and the winds to tell them to be still. So this theme of Jesus having authority is still being built here. But another big theme of Mark is the question, who is Jesus? It actually gets asked a few times in this book. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus with all this authority that he has? It's actually the the final question of this passage is, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey him? So that's the themes that we've been exploring. We're going to continue doing that today. When I was up last time, we went through the three parables Jesus taught. uh, That he had the parable of the lampstand and the scattered seed and the mustard seed. And those parables, as we saw, they have very layered meanings that if you continue to dwell on them and ruminate on them, you get another meaning and another meaning inside those parables. And while what we're, uh, we're about to read is not a parable, what we just read is not a parable, it's structured similarly. There's a lot of meaning here. I, this happened. This happened in history on a real sea, in a real place, with real people on a real boat right. thousands of years ago. Right. But the way Mark told it, there's, it's almost told like a parable. There's all kinds of deeper meanings that we're going to see along the way. Now, before we get into it, again, verse by verse, you need to know some things about the setting. So first, the Sea of Galilee. I learned as I was preparing for this, it's not a sea by technical, technically, it's a lake, the Lake of Galilee. And the way it's set up is it's this body of water with mountains all around it. And so you've got the cool air up on the mountains. You've got the, the humid air down here. As you might imagine, it's tailor-made for big storms like this. If you go to Israel today, there's even warnings about the storms that will come as these two types of air mis, uh, mix together. It's also interesting to see in the setting the, pro- the progression of Jesus and his popularity. When he started, he was in a synagogue, and that wasn't big enough, so they moved to a house where people couldn't get in. If you remember, that's the guys who dropped the guy down to the, to the roof. He was in a house. That became too crowded, so they went to a beach. And that became so crowded that now he's on a boat out in the water having to talk to all those people on the beach. So you can see in the setting, it's a perfect for a storm. It's also, you can start to see the progression. But this Jesus guy, he's moving along quite, quite quickly when it comes to gathering a crowd. Final thing of introduction before we dive in. I do need to make a point that you, pro- you might not know about water. For the Jewish reader, this story has so much more depth because water to them has always been the symbol of chaos, the symbol of evil. I don't know, like and for the American, I think for us, the, all the scary stories are out in the forest or something. There's usually a well involved or something at the bottom of it. Like that's how we think of scary things. Let's go out to the forest. Well, if you're going to tell a scary story to the Jews... Tell the story about water. Even from the very beginning of the Bible, page one, what does the world come out of? Well, it was a chaotic face of the deep. It's out of the face of the deep, the, the deep waters that the world comes. Before Jesus, excuse me, before God brings order to it, it was a chaotic waters. If you're an Israelite, two of your biggest obstacles in your life 
God overcame for you were water. It was the Red Sea that God parted. It was the Jordan River that God parted. You can go read Psalm 93, and it's just all this uh, language about how Yahweh, the Lord, God, He reigns. And then the, the antagonist of the psalm is that the sea raises up its voice against Yahweh, and Yahweh is mightier. Actually, that psalm sets up water, the seas, as the antagonist to God. When we went last year through Daniel, remember there was the multi-headed winged leopard thing, there was the weird bear, there was this winged lion, and there was this beast. All of those things came out of the sea. All of them came out of the water, came out of the sea. In Revelation 21.1, as the new heavens and new earth, when I was a kid I wondered about this, the new heavens and new earth are being talked about, it said, and there was no more sea. I remember hearing that as a kid and went, but why? I like the sea. Like I, I, want, I want some beach, but it's, there's a symbol there that is, that's where all the chaos came from. That's where all of the, where the evil came from. And so genuinely, from when you're growing up as a Jew, the, the, the horror stories, the stories you told around the campfire, they're usually about monsters that came out of the sea. And so this is a story that's literal and historic about Jesus calming a storm. But to a Jewish reader, it's about so much more than that because of what Jesus is conquering. Next week when we're together, Jesus sends some pigs into a sea, into some water. You need to remember this for next week too, that there's this major symbol for the Jews that that's where chaos and evil come from. So now that you know that, let's go verse by verse. Verse 35. On that day, that's the day Jesus was teaching those parables about the lampstand the pair, uh, and the scattered seed all that. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. All right, so we got a nighttime setting. It is a long day of teaching and human interaction. Some of you know that human interaction is exhausting. Anybody agree with that? Human interaction can be exhausting. You know what else is exhausting? Preaching. Actually, I saw, um, I saw one of my favorite preacher guys. He was wearing one of those bracelets to tell you how many calories he burned in a 40-minute sermon. It was the equivalent of running like two miles. So just so you know, uh, Doug, that's how much calorie burn you get doing what we do. And so he's, it's at night. He's been interacting with people and preaching all day. He's exhausted. And they want to go over to the other side. What's on the other side of this lake is called the Decapolis. It's t- it means ten cities. Thus far in the story, all the way through Mark, Jesus has been in Jewish-controlled but Roman-owned territory. So Rome owned it, but they let the Jews kind of run it. This other side that Jesus is going to, it is not Jewish at all. This is a very Roman-controlled area to the extent that the first reader might have went, why are you going over there? Like this is where all, There was actually some contemporary writers that talked about that part of the Decapolis. It's kind of haunted. That's where the demons come from. And so here is Jesus going from a Jewish area that the Romans owned. I'm going across to where the real pagans are. I'm going across to where Rome rules. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So now they're off into the, into the lake. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. This word for windstorm could also be translated something like hurricane. You'd also need to picture for a moment, this is a boat. It is not a ship. It's not made for this. It's not made to be out on this lake during this kind of storm. And so I need you to feel that panic for a minute. For a minute. Put yourself in the scenario. Imagine the volume. I don't know if any of you have ever went walking or running by 
the ocean when it's raining, it is deafening when that much water is falling into that kind of water. Think about the, think about the volume. Think about the chaos, the chaotic nature, the wetness, the, the, the dread over, overthinking this could be it. We are, we are in real trouble. This boat was not made for this. We are sinking. Think about the screaming and the yelling of the, these guys just trying to stay above board. And so we got this terrifying situation if you put yourself in it. And then we get to the next verse, verse 38. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And the disciples woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It sort of is an absurd picture. Like, you'd think you'd wake up in the boat. There's, uh, I, I, was, I was preparing for this, I learned that these fishing boats, they would often be a sandbag they would use as ballast to, and so, to balance out the ship. So he's likely, he's at the front of the ship, asleep with a sandbag as a pillow, while the whole world is crashing around him. And again, this is another note about how tired he probably was, because preaching is very hard work, and he was just exhausted sleeping. The disciples wake him up in this panic, and they're a little rude, as we often are when we're super stressed. Usually stress brings out a lot of the rudeness. And that is that question of, the rudeness is the question, do you not care that we're going to die? I need you to let that question stick with you for later. That question, do you even care? Do you even care what's going on right now? I need you to let that question stick with you for a little later that they ask him. So verse 39, Jesus is awake now. Verse 39, and Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Saying peace be still is fine. It's a fine translation. Very genuinely, another fine translation would be shut up. He said to the storm, shut up. Consider that for a minute. Consider the power you have over your kids that if you use the right tone and you tell them to be quiet, that it kind of gets really hushed really quick. That kind of power you have over them. He had over a big storm over the sea and wind where he said to it, be quiet. And it obeyed him immediately. That language, this peace be still, this command is actually the same language in one of the opening stories in Mark, if you remember, he, Jesus goes to the synagogue and he's going to teach and a demon-possessed man comes in causing all kinds of trouble. And what Jesus says to him here is the exact same words in the original language. He said to him, peace, be still, or shut up. That's what he said to the storm. So using this language that he already used on a person, it personifies the storm as if the storm is as demonic as the person was. And Mark does this to show you how absolute Jesus' authority is. He is over all things. The demonic, the natural, the supernatural, demon-caused problems. Jesus says to both of them, to both of them, shut up, peace be still. And both of them don't have a choice about it. Both of them bow to his authority immediately. Another interesting point on the language is that the language these guys spoke has very few adjectives. So when you want to emphasize something, you usually say it twice. Actually, Doug, going through Genesis, I laughed a lot for probably too long when Esau said to Jacob, I want some red red. Like, that was super funny to me. That's how he said he was really hungry and that's what he wanted to eat. Well, the language here about windstorm is basically saying there was a storm storm. It's a big storm. But equally, when there says there's a great calm, there was a storm storm, a mega storm. Well, there was a calm calm. 
a mega calm. Those two things matched. So that mega storm, remember the chaos and the feeling of the wetness and the volume? Now for a second, put yourself in the situation where there was all this chaos and then it all comes to a... You just hear the waves lapping against that boat. Maybe a bird over, over top. It gets really calm really quick because that's how powerful the word was. Verse 40. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus questions his questioner. They came to him and said, Do you even care? He says, You, you wonder if I care. I, I wonder if you have no faith in me. That word afraid, why are you so afraid? It's not an action. Like, why are you acting afraid? Why are you acting like you're so scared? It's actually a question about state of being. Why are you so cowardly? Why are you so in your state of being afraid? After all you've seen from me, how do you think I don't care? Verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So first, if I could get you to put some flesh on this experience. Like they said, they're afraid of him. Like they're, they have this great fear. Imagine a situation that's even less dramatic than thinking you're probably going to die. Where someone that you met in the world could tell something in the natural world to do something and it did it. So just consider you're just somewhere and someone tells a tree to move a little bit. You'd freak out, right, if that tree moved a little bit. That's how it happens in the movies, right? When someone shows power over the natural world, people don't think, that's cool, I really want to be around that. They're usually terrified of that person who can do it. And that's what happened with them. They're scared of this kind of power. And ask that, ask that question that Mark is actually trying to get you to ask. Who is this? You've now seen him dominate demons and sickness and the religious. And now he's dominated nature itself. Who is this that has this kind of power? That's the question Mark wants you to ask too. So then from that text then we have three takeaways, three deeper meanings on these layers of meaning that I want to walk you through. That challenge you with that. One of them challenges you with that question. Who is this? So just, if you want to write these down, there's three. Three deeper meanings to this passage. Number one, Jesus is more than a teacher. That's the first kind of most obvious thing Mark wants you to understand. This person you've been reading about, he's more than just a rabbi. He's more than just a a Jewish teacher. He is God in the flesh. Partly because of this. Jesus is doing things that only are ascribed to God's power. So if you're a good Jew and you know your Old Testament... There are some things that only God can do. And one of them is control the sea. So Psalm 107, I want to read to you. Because this is what the Jews were thinking about when they read this story. Part of what they were thinking about. Psalm 107 says, Some, these are people, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For Yahweh commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They, the sailors, mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Verse 28 of Psalm 107, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. There is no other character in the Old Testament that has the power to tell the sea to hush. Isaiah 51.10 talks about God as the as the power over the seas when his people needed to go through them. And so you ha- I could give you more examples, and actually next week, because we, we're going to talk about this some more next week with the, the imagery around water. This is, this is a power only given to God. And so Jesus in this story is doing what only God can do. The Bible says only God can control the seas. Well, now here's Jesus doing it. So he's obviously more than just a rabbi because he's doing what God can do. To, he's doing what God can do to this extent. You might hear someone say from time to time, Jesus never claimed he was God. Well, first of all, yes, he did. But two, he barely had to. He kept doing all of these God things. He kept doing all of these things that only uniquely God has ascribed doing in the, in the Old Testament. And one of them is controlling the sea right here. So Jesus taught he was God, but he was doing God things. So he is making the claim, I am God. I have the power over demons, sickness, the supernatural, the natural. I've got all this power. That brings you to this question. Who is Jesus to you? We know who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. He is, he is the, the one Messiah of God. He is what he said and what he illustrated. How do you react on that? You need to wrestle with the consequences of it. He is who he said he is. So maybe dwell on this question. He is who he says he is, but who is Jesus to me? How do I treat him? How central is this Jesus to my life? How seriously do I take Jesus? How seriously do I take the things he taught and the things he says he requires of his people? How seriously do I take the the command to take up my cross and follow after him? Because here's some things we know he's not. He's not your mascot. He's not your accessory. He's not your therapist and he's not your vending machine. He is the Lord of everything. He was on this earth, God of the flesh, and told a storm to shut up and it did. You're going to have to deal with that. You need to deal with, well, how do I react to that? Do I take the parts that he, the parts, do I give him the parts of me that I want, but I keep the stuff that I want? Do I keep the desires that I want, the passions that I have, and I don't subjugate them to this God of the universe? Do I keep the habits that I want? Do I keep my priorities, or do I subjugate them to the God who controls the sea? This question that Mark is asking you, who is this? You might all have the right answer theologically. You might say, well, Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Are we living that way? Are you just adding him on because it feels good? I think a lot of us might. There's a a certain safety blanket to just knowing we have have this relationship with Jesus. But we don't submit to him like a real disciple. He's a thing we've added on. I'm doing my life. I'm chasing my American dream. I want what I want. I'd also like to have some Jesus along the way because I think it could be helpful to help me, but... This is not who Jesus is. He is the Lord of everything. He will be your master. There is not another option for him to be. So the first meaning, the the first obvious meaning is Jesus is more than a teacher and it's time for us all to to wrestle with that and decide how we're going to treat this God of the universe in our daily lives. So number one, Jesus is more than a teacher. Number two, Jesus is, this is a weird sentence, Jesus is the greater than Jonah. He's the greater than Jonah. 
before we get into this, I've got to give you a couple introductory thoughts. A Jew reading this would have seen it in the language a lot. They would have seen, hey, this story reminds me of the Jonah story. And there's a parallel that goes of Jonah and the whale fame. That's the Jonah I'm talking about. So Jonah and Jesus, there's a parallel here with some comparisons and contrasts that I'm going to show you. And so you need to know that, that the Jew reading that would have recognized it. And to give you an idea of what I mean, like uh, let's say someone that's never been a part of American culture came over here. And we were watching something on TV together. And someone said, they were making a reference and said, in a, in a galaxy far, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, most of you would know that they're making a reference to... Thank you. But that's, that's, that person might not get it, go right over their heads and go, I, I don't see, what, is, that, is that important, what they just said? Well, for us, the American reader, we, we're that foreigner. We're reading through this and we're not seeing that meaning, but it's there. And so let me walk you through it. Here's some of the language and some of the comparisons and contrast that this is a story that shows you that Jesus, is, as great as Jonah was, Jesus is the better, the complete Jonah. So first... When in the English it says uh, the storm ceased, it's the exact same word. So when the storm for Jonah and his people ceased, it's the same word there for Jesus and his people when the storm ceased. That word terrified at the end where Jesus said, or the, it says of the disciples that they were terrified. It's actually a, a, a weird Jewish idiom that says uh, fear to fear. They fear to fear. And that was the word used originally in the Jonah story. So when the sailors were terrified in that story, they weren't just scared or terrified, they feared a fear. And that was actually a really common phrase for the Jews. So the language is quite similar, but just look at the comparisons. Both of them were prophets. Jonah and Jesus were prophets that were going from Jews to Gentiles. Both end up in a storm. Both were asleep at the beginning of the storm. Both were awakened by terrified sailors who feared a fear. And both of them ended the storm. Jonah ended it by probably trying to kill himself. That's probably what he was doing there. Jesus ended it by saying, stop it, and it stopped. But they both ended the storm. There's also some great contrast in this. Jonah was running away from God's call in his, his boat. Jesus is running towards God's call in his boat. Jesus wasn't running away because he hated the people he was going to. He was running towards a group of people because he loved them. Jesus being Jesus is this greater Jonah, as awesome as Jonah was, maybe as an example. Jesus is the one that he's the he's the better of the two. So Jesus defeats the storm. He never bails out. That's what Jonah does. He bails out of the boat. Instead, he just defeats the storm. And this is something we're supposed to take as here's Jesus as the better Jonah, which means all that fear of these storms, you don't have to. Because he broke this storm. He he broke the storm on this lake in Galilee, and he's going to eventually break through all evil and sin. Jonah could end the storm by jumping overboard and being swallowed by a big fish. Well, Jesus just tells the storm to stop, and he's going to tell every storm to stop eventually. Eventually, he doesn't just bring a calm calm. He brings an ultimate, eternal, mega calm, and he beats all the storms, which is something Jonah could never do. Which is something for us to take. It's like, if you're in a storm, or by the way, if you're not in a storm, in a trial, in a, in a hard time, I hate to tell you, but one's coming, probably soon. And we can know, not like Jonah who bailed out, but like Jesus who stayed and, and beat the storm, we don't have to fear because he is with us. We can believe that Jesus has the power and the desire to deliver us. So unlike Jonah, we actually can trust in Jesus. So number one, Jesus is more than a teacher. You've got to wrestle with that and decide what you're going to do with it. Number two... He's better than Jonah, so you can trust him in the storm. And that is our final point. 
Number three, Jesus is with you when your boat is sinking. I need you to go back to that question from the disciples. They asked the question in the storm, do you even care? Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all had that frustrated prayer? Do you even care what's happening in this marriage right now, God? Do you even care what's happening in this financial situation? Do you care what's happening with my job or my unemployment situation? Do you, do you even care about this sickness? Do you care what's going on in this parenting situation I'm in? Do you care what's happening in this relationship? Do you even care? I know I've been there. And that question is barely a question. It's really an accusation. It's an accusation. You don't care. Why don't you care? And consider Jesus' response. I'll tell you this. I've... If I had been as good to somebody as Jesus had been good, as good to these disciples, and you asked me if I cared, I'm going to snap back at you a little, little bit. That's what I'm going to do. He doesn't get, he doesn't have the reaction I would have. He doesn't have, a, doesn't have a temper tantrum. He really absorbs the question. He, 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 he can absorb your honesty, by the way. He can absorb your frustration. And while he absorbed it, and he didn't come back with any kind of wrath. He did challenge it, though. Do you even care is the question? And his question was one right back. Do you have so little faith? You see me do all this other stuff. Why don't you believe right now about the storm? So can I say to you, will you remember what you've already survived? In this room, there's a lot of heartbreak. There's been a lot of tragedy been a lot of challenge. But in this room, there's also been a lot of God's grace. Can you not look back at a time and, and know, can't we all look back at a time where you thought, I don't know if you think you care and I'm not going to make it. But here you are. I can think of a particularly hard time for me back in 09, 2010. The Lord delivered me. And I can look back now and storm in an issue and go, well, if you got me through that, you're faithful and I know I can trust. God. He's been so good to me, how dare I ask, do you even care? But I do need you to know that you can be honest. You can ask God that question, do you even care? And the answer back is, can you look back and see what I've already done? Do you still have so little faith? Seeing what I've already done for you? So when these storms come, when it's trial, it's tribulation, it leads us to this question. It's the question of fear versus faith. Will I have fear over this or will I have faith over this? Chaos and evil, trial, they can, like this storm, they can come up out of nowhere. And often we're like the disciples in that boat. We panic, we worry, we have anxiety. I'm not talking about the biological anxiety. I'm talking about sinful worry. We just focus on the problem and we're, we're just obsessed with how bad things could be. We don't trust. We choose fear when it comes along. But the, the God that we know, especially in this room, all the stories we could all tell each other, he's earned our trust. Amen. He's earned your, for you to have faith and not fear. He's been so faithful to you. This also tells us in this, in this story that Jesus doesn't avoid storms. 
He doesn't avoid storms for you. He just goes through them with you. He doesn't say, it's going to work out however you think. Like, what do you really want to happen is how it's going to work out. He doesn't say anything like that. He just says, I'm going to be with you. And whatever happens is actually what's best for you, whether you can see it or not. And if you'll come to that place where you don't fear, and instead you have faith that his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and I don't get it right now, but I'm going to trust. That's good. I'm going to trust on you, lean on your understanding, not lean on my understanding, and all my ways acknowledge you and have you direct my path. I'm not going to direct my path because I can, I can try to fight in this boat with a storm that's bigger and badder than I am, or I can trust that you know what you're doing. So final thoughts. You need to decide who Jesus is to you. And if you have the correct intellectual answer that Jesus is God, can we ask, can I ask you, can I challenge you? Does your life say anything about that? Do you really take seriously that he is who he says he is? And he's not a part of what you're doing, but he's the centerpiece of all creation. You can know that Jesus is that better Jonah. He doesn't bail out of the boat. He does defeat all of the storms. And you can know that Jesus is with you in that storm. And you can find comfort and choose faith over fear when they come. Next week, he's going to arrive on the other side of this lake. And he's going to be greeted by a demonic man. And that story continues this narrative of Jesus' authority and him being with us in those trying times. And we're going to do that when we come back together next week in Mark chapter 5. As I pray, I'm going to ask uh, the band to come up, and we're going to uh, sing together how deep the Father's love for us in just a moment.